Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a discussion on the seven ways churches can resist toxic cultures. Okay, Chaz, how many episodes are there on the Kingdom Roots podcast? I think this is 168. 168. Yeah. And you have been the voice and host of every one of them, right? Yeah, we've gotten them all kicked off, and, and it's been a blast. And this is your last one as you move on to... Maybe to CNN or Fox News, wherever you're at. <laughs> Who knows what, what, what's in store? <laughs> Hopefully it's podcasting. I love to get yeah. to do this. It's, a, it's fun. Well, you've, you've done a good job. You've put up with my total disinterest or uninterest or lack of interest in all things technological. And uh, my impatience with... Um, Things that don't work, although Yeti is working today, but I need someone to tell me which buttons to push. But more importantly, you've chosen most of the topics, you've led the discussion, and uh, you've done a great job. And uh, probably most important, um, you've graduated from Northern Seminary with a master's degree in New Testament, and you're moving on to uh, higher and uh, bigger things. Yeah, you know, this has just been so fun. It's kind of a, you know, the thought of getting to to do something like this, I I just usually threw stuff out that I myself just wanted to ask you about and and hear about. And uh, I think others have hopefully enjoyed that process. But um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. 168, though. That's a lot. No idea there's that many. And and, uh, Chaz's successor is going to be Laura Terrell, who is... uh, who's been uh, chirping along a little bit uh, the last few Mm -hmm. sessions. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll have to bear the total responsibility for all things technological. I know yes. nothing, and I don't want to know anything about this stuff. <laughs> Lori, you got we'll it. I got it full out. confidence in you. Oh, good, good. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, I'll say this, Chaz. It's, it's a lot nicer... To look at Laura's background with that beautiful bookshelves, uh, then your blank wall. Of course, I have no idea. Are you in Florida right now? No, that's where we're headed. We're actually back in Colorado. So oh, you're, that's uh, right. you're in Colorado. You say that about our scenery, but sometimes I've done yeah. it in my truck, and like we're yeah, have, but we're all over the place. She, uh, Laura, has a beautiful library. Colors are just perfect. Yeah. So. Oh, thank yeah. you. And this is just a portion of the books. We've got books everywhere. That's a good thing. <laughs> books. Yeah. I have. Uh, I have so many books that there's no more bookshelf space, and Chris <laughs> requires that every book that I bring in, uh, one leaves. Oh, is that the, now? The I right now have a huge. I have four or five big stacks of books on a library. On my, uh, I have two desks in my library downstairs in the basement, and I have two uh, desks, and there are stacks of books on both of them. Don't tell Chris, but there's no space <laughs> on the shelves for these books. <laughs> so I got, 
I got there's no room either to build any more shelves. So <laughs> are they in like a book purgatory? Like they're they're yeah, they're, they're being refined to get uh, the place in, uh, in there. Yeah, they're in limbo. Yeah, they're waiting for they're waiting for their final destination for me to make a judgment on which ones. But probably just take copies of David Fitch's books to school because I don't I don't need them. Uh, all right but Chaz thanks so much for all your work and you've done a great job and you know the the other side that you've you've administered the Master of Arts program at Northern you've talked about advertising with the deans and the other people and I don't go to those meetings and then you (laughs) just tell me what's going to happen next and I try to get ready and try to remember, but I don't always remember, and you know that too. <laughs> well, you know, it's been pretty cool to see everything kind of come to fruition with us graduating, like you mentioned, um, yeah. because our first cohort, our our group, graduated just a couple yeah. weeks ago um, earlier this month, and so um, that's been a program that's continued to grow and, and been real um, thriving now at Northern, and so that's been that's been fun to, to see, and I'm excited for where it's going to continue to go because we keep. You know, I don't know right. how many students were at Northern when you came, Chaz, but there's uh, 300 now. Yeah. And I would guess there were 125 when you came, maybe less. Oh yeah, that's what I was going to guess. I mean, it's really grown a lot, and yeah. we're growing. And the Master of Arts and New Testament is growing. Mm-hmm. We start a cohort every year, and we've got some wonderful students, and it's a lot of fun and. Each cohort is different, but there's, to quote one of your favorite songs from one of these country or Western singers, the first cut is the deepest. <laughs> is, that is that country? Well, that's Sheryl Crow, I think. Uh, yeah. That's kind of quasi-country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it might kind of border on rock, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, First cut is difference. the deepest. Man, Cheryl Crows. And, and Laura may have to, I don't know, we'll see the changes she brings. She's going to make some advances. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe we'll upgrade the, the country doink, uh, uh, little twing intro. that we got yeah, for our intro. right. Doink. <laughs> uh, that's fun. All right. Well, okay. enough of the, the, the sappy sentimental talk. We've got church culture uh, conversation to talk about and and most importantly getting to Tove and how do we protect Tove when it's there and so uh, Scott I think you got some different ways to resist a toxic culture which is obviously the opposite of Tove that someone you know um, I'm often asked what are the signs of a toxic culture and there are two primary signs that we that Laura and I my daughter Laura Berenger have seen in churches The first is a narcissistic personality, and it's easier to accuse someone of narcissism than it it is to know what you're talking about. So I think that has to be studied. The second is a a combination of power that operates with fear. Mm. And a lot of people who are narcissistic and operate uh, with power through fear scare people to death into ever disagreeing are also, uh, sad to say, very successful because of their ambition and their drive seems to make things happen. So it's not that everything they say, this is not demonizing people. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not that everything they say, that everything they do is wrong. That's not the point. The point is that there's a character issue 
that distorts all that is tov about the church and the gospel and ministry. Um, and it brings attention to the individual pastor. So uh, when you asked me this question, um, I think originally you asked me 10 ways, to, or maybe I volunteered 10 ways. Mm. I sat down and, and thought to myself, what are the things that I would, I would uh, symptoms that I would try to break down first? Because I think when you push against these things, uh, you begin uh, breaking down the toxicities and unmasking them. Now, mm. I'm not saying that you can ever get rid of these toxicities. No church mm. is perfect. No church is, is totally tov. I suppose there's no churches that are totally toxic. Although, when I listen to these people who write me, I, I do wonder if there are some totally toxic churches. But, you know, when you've been spoiled and ruined by some churches, they, the, the, the whole thing feels toxic. And I have friends right now who feel that way about several churches that we write about. They just think that everything that happens there uh, is bad. So, uh, and, and that's a distortion. They, they all need to heal and grow through that to see the tove that still exists in many places. Um, and I'm also saying um, that um, you, you can't uh, simply get rid of um, a toxic leader and think that a toxic culture is going to go away. Mm -hmm. um, I just got a report this morning from a, a major ministry or a ministry in the United Kingdom where the elders of a church took serious responsibility as retainers for the toxicity that was connected to the, to the senior pastor mm -hmm. who had a big reputation, but it was also toxic and a fear-mongering, power-hungry, probably narcissistic type leader. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, we're not going to get rid of it just by talking about these things, but the, I believe these things... Uh, will help us resist. So, and we don't have forever, so I'll start with this. The first thing is, I think it is important because all of this gets back to a narcissistic pastor who becomes the center of attention. And when you're going to a church to hear a given person preach, you got a problem. That's not a church. That's uh, it's a fan club. It? Uh, it's a it's, fan, yeah, club. fan club. It's a fan club and it's wanting to uh, you know, it's all connected to a person. The first one is there should never be stories about the greatness of the pastor. Mm. Uh, you, you've got to get rid of these kinds of stories. And um, I know a church that uh, when it went through a crisis like this, went through the, there were some leaders who went through the church with them and said, why do you have all these pictures of the pastors and the primary pastor all over the place? Uh, this can only happen um, in an unhealthy culture. I mean, we do not want to be praising and glorifying a pastor. Mm -hmm. Okay, the second thing is this. This, this may be uh, structurally the most important thing, but it becomes organically extremely difficult. And that is, I believe that elders and deacons have to be um, elected or chosen or appointed independent of the pastor so that the pastor cannot appoint friends. I know that there are pastors who have so much power in a church 
that they can they have veto power over names of people who want to be elders or deacons or on the executive leadership team that's the new thing or on the leadership team whatever mm -hmm. that means um, I know um, James McDonald I think at one time had like 50 elders or something like that I mean oh, he had yeah, all these insane. he just, just so that it, it would never tip against him and and at one point I think he had a 90% vote his vote counted 90%. Now, I don't know if any of that's true, but it is true in reality in many churches because pastors end up getting to a point, elders and leaders. So I think, I think we should work at independent elders and deacons who have a sense of independence of evaluating the pastor. It might make... Let's face this. It might make the work of the pastor a little more difficult. That might be a good thing. Yeah. Because too often the work of the pastor is too easy. Yeah. And it's too easy because everybody is in agreement with the pastor. Okay? Third, a third is that um, the pastor, the preachers, uh, must routinely credit the sources of their ideas. I get, because I have a post, I, I've written some stuff about plagiarizing, okay, sermons. I get uh, letters. Whenever I post this, I only post it on a Monday on my blog when I know I'm going to be available that day and the next day. Because I get letters, sometimes from pastors, who are confessing their sins of stealing other people's sermons. I also get letters and actual documented proof of people who have taken sermons and turned them into print and then gone on Google and found these sermons elsewhere. Yeah. And um, they pastors do this because uh, they're not good enough to produce that good of sermons and words. That's why they do this. I mean, or they don't have time. But the point is, even if they don't have time, it's because they're not good enough to be able to do it in the time allotted. But the minute you are using other people's sermons, you're lying and stealing and deceiving because the ordinary person in a church expects the person preaching to be preaching their own sermons. Now, of course, you rely on commentaries. And you don't have to say, now I got this very minor exegetical point from Stanley Porter in his difficult-to-read grammar of the Greek New Testament. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. But when the substance of a sermon comes from someone, Tim Keller, um, whoever, you know, Andy Stanley, whoever you use for your sermons. Um, or if it comes from a preaching source, you should notify. I have learned over the years that many megachurch pastors have research assistants who are actually doing all the research for the sermons, and they never get credit. I know a former student of mine, and he only told me this later, was employed by a church to do all the academic uh, 
heavy work for the pastor. The pastor never once gave him credit, and everybody in the church thought the pastor had those exegetical skills. Okay, now those are some examples, but there's other ones. You got a, a beautiful story, but you got the story from, you know, uh, some book that you read. Tell people where you got it. What this does is knock the pastor off the perch and the pedestal of everybody thinking they're absolutely genius. These quotations, these stories, these exegetical points, they know church history, they know the Old Testament, they know the New Testament, they know modern sociological study. They're getting stuff from other people. They need to acknowledge their sources. Now, I go to a church where I think our pastor, our primary preachers are Jay Greener and Amanda Holm Rosengren. I think they uh, probably acknowledge their sources a little more than they need to. But um, they are very honest and transparent people, and they're not standing up there trying to pretend like they, they know everything. They don't mind sharing the glory of ideas with other people because that's where they got them. I think I'd say that's a third. A fourth one is I believe that in churches, resignations need to be fully transparent. There are too many resignations where people give such a spiritual answer, you look like a fool or diabolical to question it. So-and-so, she's leaving because she's been called, she feels the Lord has called her to do something else. You know what happened? She saw something, and she said something, and she got fired. Yeah. All right? And if you are transparent with the elders, with the deacons, with the leadership team, and with anyone who asks, you will create a culture where the toxicity of narcissistic and power-mongering pastors cannot take shape the way it would otherwise. So I think... Um, Making resignations transparent. Okay, am I doing okay on these? Yeah, we're doing great. I think that has a lot to go into like the truth culture that you talk about in the book. You know, it's just like that's just a very clear example of how that can play out. Yeah, Uh, a fifth one is this. This this bothers me, and some people aren't bothered by this, but it bothers me. No applause. Mm. No applause for anybody. Okay. We clap for stars. You know, I didn't grow up in a church that ever clapped. When I went to seminary, I went to churches and no one ever clapped. When we were in England, I can assure you that no one ever clapped. They just had Mona Lisa smiles at even the <laughs> finest of sermons. Man, well done, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, I started noticing applause happening and people would applause musicians after they sang a song. And I think, wow, I guess it was a little bit entertaining and they were really, really good. Um, I also have noticed this, that in some churches, when you publicly affirm what's going on in that church, they suddenly start to applause. And I'm thinking to myself, they are clapping for themselves. Yeah. This is unhealthy. We do not clap for ourselves in church. We don't clap for other humans. And almost always, we don't clap for God. Although I have heard people say, let's give God a big clap. 
Now, I think that's irreverent language, but okay, I'm 60, whatever. <laughs> Getting closer to the other number, mm-hmm. too. Okay, so, but I think we need to end all applause in churches. Mm-hmm. A total ending right now. Don't ever applause. Okay, mm-hmm. I, Chaz, you don't look like you agree with me, but that's all right. <laughs> the sixth one is this. Um, I don't think that we should have anniversaries of churches until they're 100 years old. And then not another one until they're 200. And I'll tell you why. Because when we do these anniversaries, we start talking about ourselves. Because the focus becomes on all that we've accomplished, all that has happened. I think this is a breeding ground for the toxic church culture that we are special, we are better than everybody else. Look at us. Uh, We're better than the church down the road. Uh, We're better than the church I used to go to. All all of that is a distortion of what we are called to do. All right, now here's one that uh, I'm totally in favor of unless it's me. I don't believe that there should be any promotion of pastor's books from the platform or prominent displays of those books in the church. All right, um, I'll tell you why this is the case. Is um, it brings too much attention to the pastor, to what the church is accomplishing, and not enough to the glory of Christ. Mm. Um, occasionally, I'm asked to speak. I, I have to promote my books. I do it on the blog. I do it on on here because. This is what I've agreed to do with my publishers. This is, you know, you don't get a book published. All right. Publishers love, let's just say you are um, a church of 25,000 people. You know, there's only about four of those in the United States, okay? And the publisher wants you, gives you a book. If you take that book to that platform, it's going to sell a certain number of copies. Yeah. All right. That's why they gave the contract to that person. Mm-hmm. All right, maybe you do it once, you notify, maybe in the bulletin or somehow the pastor's book is now out. I really believe it's important to talk about the ideas of the book and not talk about the book itself. Um, and I've, I've lately, um, the last few years, really tried to make a practice of this. I've had criticisms from people for doing this. I'll, I'll go through a, a sermon and, or a lecture and talk about something and never mention that this this is uh, proven in a in a book that I wrote about it. Just talk about the idea. And I've been asked, and I sort of like the question, why didn't, why didn't you at least mention that you've written a book on this called The King Jesus Gospel? And I thought, okay, well, because I was talking about The King Jesus Gospel, not about the book about The King Jesus Gospel. Yeah. So... Um, these are seven suggestions. I know there'll be people who have others that they can write to Laura Tarot now. <laughs> and, uh, or to Chaz, or to me, and say, hey, uh, what about this? What about that? I know there are more. But yeah. I think these are seven things that we can do that can um, cause some checkmate mm-hmm. and begin to resist toxic cultures forming. And again... A toxic culture is not just a bunch of bad people together, bad eggs. Mm -hmm. That is a toxic culture. But by and large, 
Toxic cultures revolve around narcissistic pastors who operate with power and fear. That's the kind of toxicity that I'm most concerned about. It's that kind of toxicity that results in uh, women being particularly vulnerable uh, in churches because power is ruling. And when women don't have power in a church, they can be overruled in all sorts of ways, including sexual abuse. So uh, instead of telling stories about the pastor's greatness, maybe, maybe more churches need to start telling stories about women doing great things in their church. Yeah. I like that. I That's like a... that idea. <laughs> Scott, one of the things that I, I hear you saying, kind of a pattern and the things that you list, is what I would consider to be almost an over-identification of the pastor with the church. Um, kind of a blurring of the lines between the identity of the congregation and the individual in leadership. And one of the things... Um, I've been thinking about is that churches typically have more than one leader, senior leader yeah. in the life of a congregation. And when it is tied so closely to the identity of one individual, um, I just think that's inherently dangerous yeah. when we, when we stop being able to differentiate those things um, because a pastor comes and goes, but a church ought to have a longer lifespan and an identity of its own. Um, so what I hear you saying is we need to separate those things. We have a leader who leads a congregation, um, but we have a congregation who is the body of Christ and has its own identity and, and to try to differentiate those. So, yeah, uh, Laura, I totally agree with you. And, and, you know, how often do we say, well, I'm going to, uh, so-and-so's church. I won't use a name here. Some of the people I like. Uh, because we have connected that church with that, that person so much. And when we connect a church to a single person, we also cannot develop transition plans because it is so connected to the charisma, many times super gifted people, to another person. And um, I, know, I know a man who did research for two years or maybe it's just a year, of talking to megachurch uh, leaders and, and leadership boards and, and talk to them about their transition plans of when the pastor dies or leaves or retires. And almost none of them had any. And very few of these megachurches have done well when their pastor tries to move on. And it's normal to lose 25%, 20% of your church when yeah. you transition. When you are connected to the world's greatest preacher, uh, you just nobody else seems to have any gifts. And I often say this in, in classes, mm -hmm. who was the pastor at Galatia? Who was the pastor in Ephesus? You don't know any of these names because they weren't connected by Paul to those people. We know who's in Philemon's household because it's Philemon's household. And maybe, Maybe the names mentioned in Romans 16 are house church leading pastors. Maybe he doesn't call them that. These are churches that meet in someone's home. And uh, so I think the hero uh, and celebrity status is something we need to work really hard to fight against. Mm. 
And I sort of liked what Dave Ferguson was doing when he, what did he call Scott? Something, and I blurbed the book. Hero maker? Is that hero the one you're talking about? And his theory was we got to make everybody in the church a hero rather than the pastor. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think the word hero has its problems. Okay, I, I, got, I get that. But when you are doing that, you are defocusing and decentralizing from a superstar to ordinary people in the church. And that's what a church is. So, well, Chaz, these are my seven suggestions. And yeah. I think it's things for people to think about. No, I think it's great. I got one, just one last question for you. And uh, it would be just around the... the now, you this know, is the last question you ever get to ask. I know. So it better be a good one. <laughs> it better be a doozy. <laughs> I wonder if there's any surprising characteristics that you see in a pastor who does all of the, the seven... Um, nurturing habits of goodness that we've talked about, you know, everything from empathy to grace to people, putting people first and, and all of that, Um, that when you think of a a pastor like that, uh, are there any surprising things outside of this list that that we've just talked about today that um, would be helpful ways that they nurture goodness in their own life personally that overflows to the life of the church? Well, this sounds like another blog post. I mean, another uh, podcast. Um, You know, I think the central, uh, I mean, this is the flip side, is a pastor who does not form a toxic culture is a pastor who forms a crystal form culture. Mm -hmm. They form a culture where people come to church to hear about Jesus and to meet the people of Jesus. Yeah. And it's not about themselves. They share the pulpit. They don't. They're not afraid of telling people where they get their ideas. You know, there's a humility, a receptiveness, a gentleness. You know, we're talking the fruit of the spirit. So uh, those are the kinds of pastors who do not form toxic cultures. No. That's a good question. I. I I got to think about that. I mean, I really like the categories in the Tove book mm-hmm. uh, of what uh, what are characteristics of Tove, but those are formed over against the characteristics of toxicity. Mm-hmm. So these are the the flip side, and uh, so you want, if those are the seven major characteristics of toxicity, then the seven major characteristics of Tove are the flip side of those at some level. So. Yeah. yeah, that's good. good yes. Well, I suppose Again, it's time we Jess, wrap up this last one, huh? Not a bad question to finish up your <laughs> career as a radio star, yeah, um, uh, and personality. So our podcast personality, <laughs> podcast so. personality, and we're looking forward to Laura. And next time, when Laura does this, yeah. uh, we're already talking about some people who we're going to invite. Uh, we'll yeah, we'll hear a little fun. bit about Laura's story too. Mm. Good. So. I'll, I'll look forward to to join that as a listener okay. now. So right. my time's been here, and Scott, it's been again so great. And um, if you ever want to follow me, I'm pretty easy to find on social media. So I would love to be able to still connect with you. And um, don't forget too, Scott, we got that competition, that that big giveaway. We didn't quite reach one million yet, but uh, Laura okay. Tara is going to bring us home. <laughs> and so you still have a chance to review Scott's book on uh, any of the platforms. 
platforms that you can do that and uh, in, include the links to the um, to that in the form that I, I include in the, the show notes. But um, we'll be announcing that soon. Um, but sincerely, listeners, it, it has really been a pleasure to be with you for all of our times together. And I, I do greatly appreciate you and look forward to joining your ranks as the conversation continues on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 